playbook. It's a private practice playbook. Playbook. Hello and welcome. This is Jay Geyer. Glad to be with you again. We're going to change subjects a little bit this month, and I want to talk in particular about one of the issues that probably over the last 25 or 30 years, it just continues to amaze me that no matter who I'm with, no matter what we're working on, this seems to be something that is present in the room. It is kind of a, it's a, it's an, it's there in almost every interaction between you and your employees or your team members. It may be in the room every time you're interacting with your spouse or your kids. And when you leave a room, your, your team is struggling with this issue with your patients. And it's something that is so um, difficult sometimes to identify the consequences of it. And so I want to take the subject matter. I want you really to sort of slow down a minute and, and, and think about this. And I promise you that when we, as we address this, you know, that every one of us has this in their life. And you are a person who your livelihood is made by interacting with other people. And so you're the knowledge that you want to constantly be gaining is knowledge about human behavior. And, you know, clinical skills, as we talked about, are very, very important. But clinical skills combined with people skills is the magic trick. And that goes for you. You know, there's nothing worse than, you know, social awkwardness. <laughs> and if you watch it, it's painful to watch, right? So what I want to talk about today, and I'm going to read by uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Tommy Newberry, wrote a book, The 4-8 Principle. And so it's uh, Philippians 4-8. And finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report— if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, I was thinking about this, and so he wrote a book about this and the idea, and he does a challenge every year for people to make an effort to concentrate on these things and not the things that they tend to concentrate on. And what I thought was interesting, I was looking at this, and uh, uh, I actually... You know, thinking about the first one, right? Whatever things are true. And, you know, one of the things I learned a long time ago, you know, true, noble, just, pure, is that life, this subject that I'm going to talk about today, has a way of making the truth somehow get very, very confusing. And that's why it's so frustrating. And so what I want to talk about is this thing that we all have, which is, you know, there's something that we all need to confront. And I was thinking about this, and, you know, the larger your business is, the more patience you have, the more this can weigh on you. And so there are a few things, and I want to talk about this power of con confrontation. And first of all, maybe we need to reframe it because the minute you say confrontation, right, you immediately get turned off. And so I want to talk about 
why people have the ability to confront things and why some don't. And I'm hoping that I can inspire you to maybe be willing to change your overall outlook on this issue of confrontation. So let's look at some definitions, right? Because I think it's interesting. I believe that if you wanted to improve the quality of everything, your practice, the relationship with your patients, you wanted to improve the quality of your, with your assistants and your spouse, that what would be required for you to do that is that you would probably need to confront some issues. And so it's interesting, if you look up confrontation, one of the definitions is a hostile or argumentative meeting between opposing sides or parties. So the first thing, nobody, if I say confrontation, and you know that definition, I think if you're like me, that's not, that doesn't sound particularly exciting. So you'd say, okay, well, Jake, you talk about something more pleasant. <laughs> but remember, there are other definitions that are more appropriate, right? So, you know, okay, we have the act of confronting, which doesn't sound quite as bad, but again, if we add that you're going into an argumentative meeting, right? Another one is a face-to-face -face meeting, okay? But here's the one I like, a technique used in group therapy where one is forced to recognize one's shortcomings and their consequences. And so what's interesting about confrontation so often is that the person who needs to confront something is typically having to do exactly this. It's just a technique used so one is forced to recognize one's shortcomings and their consequences, and sometimes their unintended consequences. So if you really think about a person who's doing things, let's just say not the correct way, they usually are not focused on the consequences of what they're doing. That is why somebody has to come in and provide that perspective. And that's what confrontation is all about. It's not that you're having a battle with the person. Again, I'm gonna read it again, because I think it's so much, so let's say you had a family member that had a behavior that was uh, a damaging behavior to your family. Well, I don't think they would do it intentionally to try to create damage to your family. I don't think that all your employees are out every day Googling, how do I destroy my boss's life and come up with evil plans to do things that create consequences they're unaware of. The truth of the matter is somebody always has to step up and bring it to the person's attention that the behavior has a consequence that is not a consequence you're interested in. And it doesn't have to be personal. So let, let's read it again. So here is what I'm, this is what I'm saying to you. And, and by the way, as a leader of an organization, as a leader of a family, as a leader of people, which you are if you want to be or not, this is, I think, one of the single greatest skills you could ever develop, and it is also one of the things that can be most frustrating, but everything that has great rewards is frustrating. And it is something that I have watched grown men and women hide from 
As a matter of fact, I, I found an article and it was, you know, sort of talking about people who don't confront things. And it was sort of a joke article because it said 13 things that everybody knows who doesn't like to confront things. And basically all 13 of them were atrocious, right? It was like this, there was this list of like, you know, it's not going to go away and you know, <laughs> I mean, so, so I'm not going to go through that list because I found it to be a little negative, honestly, but let's go back. So what is confrontation? It's a technique used in group therapy where one is forced to recognize one's shortcomings and their consequences. Now, you don't always have to make it a shortcoming. Sometimes it's just simply the effect of a behavior that they repeat. And for a lot of people, I'll tell you one of the great mistakes I've made in my life. And I've noticed for me, and I want you to think about this for you. Here's a question. What does it take for you finally to confront something that's been bothering you? And I will be, hey, listen, there is no doubt that every single one of us can put things off. I put things off way longer than I should have. And for me, what I notice is, unlike, right, so when I, when I read, okay, this very uh, centered view, right, Jay, focus on what is pure and noble and just, I find when I go to confront, the only way that I can get it out is I get very wound up. And I look very angry. I've had to learn. And sometimes I don't do a very good job of controlling it. Other times better. But for me, I've noticed that I will get a little, I do get a little adversarial. And I've really had to work on trying, really work on not doing that, right? I will tell you that I fail at it occasionally. So, and, and they did this great study. I was reading a book and they were talking about this. And it was about managing people. And so they did a study about this idea of would people confront someone? So what they did is they, they, they interviewed all these people and they said, okay, if you were at the airport and somebody cut in, would you do anything? Well, everyone says, oh, absolutely, yes. Well, then they actually did it and they found that none of the people who said they would actually would do it. So you'll say you'll do one thing. But then in the moment, the research suggests that you'll actually turn the cheek and literally let a person cut in line and not think twice about it. And then they said they went ahead and they ran some studies where one person called the person out and said, hey, you know what? This is a line. Why don't you just go to the back? You know, we've all been waiting and it would be best if you went to the back of the line. They actually discovered that the people in line got so uncomfortable that they were actually not upset with the person who broke in the line. They were upset with the person who called the person out in breaking in the line. So in the social studies that they did on this, we found that everybody thinks. So you just ask a person, would you deal with this? Everyone is, yes, I would. I would do it. But when they tested, it was like eight out of 10 times, the same people who said they would address something when put in a real live situation would not. They just did not have what it takes. And then there was this research done about the people who called them out. And people actually got so uncomfortable that they just simply wanted the person who was calling out this person, if it was in cutting in line or whatever it was, to stop. And they were willing to just let the person do it. Now, I found that fascinating, right? Because it made total sense to me. 
So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to sit here and you're going to think, Jay, I confront everything. I see that. But here's the truth. That's not true. And it's not true for all of us. And so the approach I want to take on this is this, is what would you have to do? See, I think there's a list of things you have to do to be more likely to confront things, right? So in other words, because all the research suggests, if I asked you a question, I said, would you, if you found out someone was stealing from you, would you address it? And your answer will be yes. But yet we've sent people in to do uh, 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 surveys, um, forensic accounting in offices, and they got mad at the person who said that they were stealing. So when somebody said, we think your person is stealing, the doctor actually got mad at the person who said, we think the person is stealing. Because what they didn't want to do is go deal with it. And so this is a very, very powerful uh, subject. And the question that we all have to think about is, right, you know, it's interesting. Even if you thought you were good at it, your business is going to be the byproduct of how good all your people are at it. I mean, I sat in a room the other day with some employees and I was trying to solve something and it just amazed me. I said, they, they described why something didn't happen. And I said, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me that it didn't happen because of the response of this person? And I, I made an invitation. I said, hey, if that ever happens again, then why don't you just come right into my office, no matter what's going on, and I will come with you. And you all of a sudden saw them change. They were like, well, maybe that's not really it. And, and, and so what, what's interesting is this, what is the behavior, right? What is the thing a person does when they're avoiding? So what does that mean when they're avoiding confronting? When they're avoiding pointing out the consequences, just remember this, should you point out the consequences of someone's behavior? The answer is yes. Should you confront them? The answer is no. See, so what I want you to do is reframe what this means to you because you sit in the middle of a bunch of important things. So when I look at, so for instance, if you go to the top level, well, let's do this. Let's go to the bottom level of our membership. At the very entry point of our membership, you, have, you pay us to help you get new patients. And what you'll see is many, many times we go into an office and there is a front desk person who has been doing whatever they want, whenever they want. And we say to them, we would like you to say these things to the patient, respond in these ways and to concentrate on these things. And is all it is, is changing the behavior of the person. Now, we know that if the behavior changes, the result will also change, which basically means that the unintended consequence of their previous behavior was driving away new patients. And so what's quite funny about it is if you actually think about it, so that's why we don't focus on that because we don't want them to feel bad, right? We just want them to do the new behavior. Now, if I go into an office and the doctor says nothing has changed, I, is all I have to do is to look at what the person did. And what you'll find is usually they did not change their behaviors because some of them actually are smart enough to figure out that if you do it my way and the new patients double, it actually means that you are doing it that wrong. Now, I don't make a big deal out of that, nor should you, but you should understand the power of what's going on in their mind. I mean, to the point, 
you know, I loved it. I read some review somewhere where a lady had gotten a, a rating from us, and she said that I run a cult. I found that so interesting. So I called her. I said, have we ever met? She's like, no. I said, okay. And uh, you do know that you wrote on the Internet that I run a cult, right? And she's like, well, you do. And I was like, well, how do you know? And she's like, well, you rated me, and I disagree with the rating. I mean, it was so – I mean, imagine this conversation, right? Now, <clears throat> did she lie? The answer is absolutely yes. Was she protecting herself? Absolutely yes. And the funny thing about this, and I don't want to talk about her situation necessarily, but the kind of things you'll see someone do, you got to remember this, that there's the one who is going to work to bring up this behavioral issue, and then there's the response. And so you also have to realize that there are a group of people that taking feedback is their worst skill, and they go crazy. And so the crazier someone gets, the more I know. By the way, just always remember that. The crazier someone gets, the more you need to keep moving forward. Because the crazier response I get, the more I know there's something there that they're hiding. I find normal people are so cool about like, wow, you mean if I just do that, that's going to happen? And then these other people are just bananas, right? They just have this reaction that makes zero sense. So you have to look at it this way, right? If somebody confronted, you know, I love, they do this in movie scenes a lot, right? Where the jealous lover confronts the other one, right? And it's all this wacky behavior, and um, so let's get back to this, right? So what we want to do, and so th at that level, and then if I can just get them to do the thing that's right, all of a sudden they get results, and now they start to get the win. Go to the highest level of behavior. And, and by the way, there'll be, if there's someone on here who's a new member, you know, what will happen is, by the way, I've had thousands of members come through, and I believe that about 40% of the time, the same staff member who is destroying the practice wins out over me. So what ends up happening is she'll go to, he or she will go to the doctor and say, I don't want to do this. I don't think this is right. And the doctor says, okay, I'm so sorry. Well, we gave it a try. No, you didn't give it a try. You basically got your, you know, what handed to you in when it comes to confrontation and the person simply doesn't care or cares more about maintaining what they're doing than the negative unintended consequence. Because I've proven it thousands and thousands of times that most front desks are sending away almost as many patients as they're keeping, or at least certainly 25% of the ones that they're keeping. And the evidence suggests it's true. But why would a doctor ignore my advice that they paid for and then listen to the person who's been there for 15 years while the practice has suffered. Well, it's their inability to confront. And, and what's so interesting is, so they don't know how to apply a technique for, and even when I, by the way, my whole training program, most of, most of the training programs I have are simply techniques to get someone to recognize the shortcomings, okay, and the unintended consequences. I mean, because those are the tricks, right? That is how you do it. And the question is, do you play along or do you get in the way? At the highest level of membership, you take a doctor who's trying to go five times. I mean, and it's very clear you'll see, okay, if I'm going to go five times 
And I've had a staff member with me, and she has decided that she has maximized the amount of change she's willing to do, then that person's behavior is causing the practice not to grow. And the question is, is the vision and the goal enough to move past that, or are we going to get stuck? And so these are the issues, right? I mean, it could be the same. You know, they say people go and in their marriages that there's some of the lowest confront of anywhere. In other words, that are, are, are the person you spend the most time with, you are least likely to confront about anything, which is kind of fascinating, right? And again, we could go on and on and on about this. Why do, why do so many parents have unhealthy relationships with their parents, right? So now what I want to do is I want you to first identify what am I talking about here, okay? And so when you are a business person, there are some wonderful audiences that you have. And I'd like you to think about this. And I'm going to kind of draw this outward, Okay, so what I like is the model where you first start with yourself. And so if I were to say, if there's a place I begin first is, do I have the ability to confront or to my own behavior? And I had a conversation with one of my uh, people that work for me today. And, you know, I said something and he said, well, I don't think that's the case. And I said, well, I got to be honest with you. It doesn't even matter. It's a perception. He goes, you know what? You're right. And it was great because he, he, he was able to understand it and not personalize it because it was a perception, okay? But so do you have the ability to, to deal with your own issues, okay? And so let me give you a couple of uh, key things here. If you blame or make excuses, and by the way, most people who blame and make excuses, uh, they actually think they're valid. So if you're... So, for instance, if you think, well, my circumstances are not because of my doing, they're just because of the way the world is to me, then you would be that kind of person. And the truth is, you really don't even have the ability to apply this to yourself. So, in other words, you don't even have the ability to apply a technique to yourself where you recognize your own shortcomings. And in coaching, this is a big business. So, like, if you're a coaching client of mine, I mean, you can never stop recognizing your own shortcomings. I mean, how, what we do in coaching is we take a person who thinks it's all about the world and we say, sorry, buddy, or ma'am, but this is about you, and they finally accept it. And it's like, and that realization goes over and over and over again. Had a client send me a cool shirt. It said, the problem with my, <laughs> Dr. Chen, 5X member, sent me a shirt. It says, the problem with my business is me. I mean, he, that just tells me that he clearly had a breakthrough about that, about something. And it, so you start with yourself. And then what you're going to do is you're going to go outward. And typically, right, we would look at spouse. If you're married, if you're not, you wouldn't include spouse. You would look at your family, then you would look at your employees or team members, right? And in your case, then you go out to patients. I mean, so what's kind of cool about people with influence is you sort of have these circles, right? And so we kind of say that, you know, so you start with yourself, then you go to your spouse, then you go to your family, then you go to your employees, then you go to your patients. And basically, if you can't get the first circle right, so if you can't force yourself to recognize your own shortcomings, the likelihood of you being good at getting your team to recognize their shortcomings would be very difficult. Now, I want you to think about that a little bit. 
And, you know, we could call it a double standard. We can call it all kinds of things. But as leaders of organizations, and it's one of the things that I have noticed, is that people are willing to pay to have you fix a team member, but they sometimes like to avoid fixing themselves. And I always tell people that's not a great plan, right? So the question is, what evidence is it that you can force yourself to recognize your shortcomings and their consequences? And if you think about a lot of great movie scenes, you know, there's always the great movie scene where the guy thinks the girl likes him, right? Or vice versa. And they're behaving like they like him. And then it's like they go in to kiss him and bam, the reality, she goes, what, here's, what are you doing? And all of a sudden the reality of the perception was wrong, right? There's, there's lots of movie, by the way, if you look at movie uh, stories, right? That's, that's told in a lot of different ways. The person whose perception is wrong around them, right? I mean, another one is the movie where the guy comes home and his wife has everything all packed up and, or the girlfriend, and they say, I just can't do this anymore. And they leave them and they're just depressed on the sofa. And then they show like a week later, there's beer bottles and food, and they haven't left the place. They've grown a beard. I mean, we all know the story, right? Now, the, sto the real story was that this person did not have the ability to recognize their own shortcomings. Somebody else, and if you leave them on the doorstep, so to speak, see, you're not confronting it. You're still just avoiding it. So in all those plays, all those situations, all those opportunities, so the question is, how many times in your life, so when a patient leaves you, right, when a patient leaves, they don't say to you, Dr. So-and-so, I'm going to leave her now. They just leave you silently. They don't, they don't come and confront you. It's like customers. Customers don't confront. I'm sitting in a store this weekend. I buy, it was, uh, they sold like athletic gear. So I had all these socks and I was, I bought a bunch of stuff. I had 40 different items and I'm at the register. And this poor lady comes up behind me and she's got three things. And I'm watching and, and there's all these ladies in the back just talk, 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 talking. I finally, I got so uncomfortable. I finally was like, can someone please come take her money? And because it's kind of like a pet peeve for me, right? But if you think about that, right, their, their focus is not on the right thing. Now, <clears throat> when you think, so what were they doing, right? And by the way, the phone was ringing too. They weren't, they weren't answering the phone. I was like, ah. And you could just tell they hadn't been trained or at least been trained by anyone who knew what, what they were actually doing. So let's go back to this. So you get the story, right? You've all seen that story, and it's a story of a person. So one of the, here's what I want you to write down. Don't ever be that person, right? And there's something weird that happens to people where uh, they're all of a sudden they start perceiving. So, so for instance, you go into an office, and I say to a doctor, I say, well, tell me about your practice, and is it patient-centric? And every doctor says to me, oh, yes. And they start describing their continuing education. And I say, okay, how many new patients did you have last month? Twelve. I said, okay, well, you're not patient-centric. 
they have the hardest time accepting that, right? Because a patient-centric office would have a lot more demand. Now, they'll try to tell you, oh, I don't want that many new patients, right? But really, the problem is they have a perception problem. And they may have gone somewhere, and they took some information from someone who said, oh, you only need to have 10 new patients, just charge them a ton of money. Well, see, that person's never around when the practice is tanking or when the practice can't pay the bills, which is what I find fascinating. So what are the things you need to do? So let's talk about this. So here you've got the circle, and I think you would agree that these are probably the most important people in your life. And so what you first wanna do is not be off in your perception around what these people think about your own shortcomings. So the real problem is if I can't identify my own, here's what I want you to think about. If you cannot identify your own shortcomings, do you really think you're gonna be comfortable identifying someone else's? And I'm here to tell you that's part of the problem. That's what I notice most with people, is that the same people who cannot identify their own shortcomings are also the people who are very uncomfortable. See, because it is a double standard. They don't know what's happening, but so if you are finding it difficult to address a person's behavior and the consequences of that, I would not be surprised at all if you have a little bit of a perception problem about your own. And the question is, can you think about the last time you, you identified it in yourself and you corrected it, right? And you corrected it. And how did you do that? Need help identifying shortcomings in your practice and correcting them? Allow Jay's team to audit your new patient experience, free of charge. Best case scenario, we'll wind up working together. Worst case scenario, we'll address your shortcomings and provide you with some actionable insights you can implement immediately to improve your process. Sure, you can trust that your team is delivering a wow experience to all your new patients, but have you verified that it's actually happening? This complimentary audit will either confirm or deny the perception you have of your practice. To request your audit, visit auditmypractice.com free. Okay, now, so let's take a look. So we, we understand who, so we have self, we have spouse, we have family, kids, employees, and patients. I mean, if that's not a good enough list, for, look, that's enough. Now, let's talk also about this. Account. So there are a couple other words I want to describe to you. One is accountability, and that's the fact or the condition of being held accountable. So what's interesting is many, many times as a leader, when we do not hold people accountable, then they develop a bad behavior. And so many, many times you're actually going and confronting your own lack of accountability, which is really fascinating. So most people do not hold in management, holding people accountable is the key. So when we walk into an office and we start to train your, your front desk people, well, the first thing I say is, well, just send me this filled out every month. And anyone who doesn't do it, that's a problem. I mean, it's simple accountability, and it is very, very effective. And most people overcomplicate accountability. So when I have a project, the first thing I say to someone is, say, okay, here's the project, and here's what I want you to send me. You'd be shocked at how, how they'll send you the thing for three weeks and then stop. And it's the, it, the question is, the things that work are the people that continue to send things on a regular basis. And so you got to go back and re-request it. And, if, and what you'll find is they're usually avoiding something. So accountability. And so how, what are you getting 
that is helping. So let me help you with the delegation. If you go to delegate anything, and remember, you can learn from the program you purchased from me, and you can copy it in other areas, or you can completely miss it. But when we walk in and we hand a person, we say, look, I'm going to put this graph on the wall. You're going to post the graph every day, and then you're going to send, you're going to log your statistics. That's called accountability. And you would be shocked at how many people get just incredibly uncomfortable with asking people to do that. You have to stop that. Because if you get that right on the front, then you get to avoid confronting it later. You have to develop accountability. Now, this other one is assuming, right? And I know there's a whole, I don't remember, there's a little thing people say about the person who assumes and it ends up with being an ass, which is part of assume, right? I don't know exactly that thing goes. But the the, 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 the story goes that, right, you're the only one who ends up looking like an ASS, right? So it's, here's the definition. Assuming is taking too much for granted, right? And this is where you're presumptive. And you're basically taking accountability out and you're assuming that because you told someone to do something back in 1982, that they're still actually doing it at the level. And where, where you see this is so fascinating is the difference between doctors who understand training and ones who don't. The majority of doctors do not train their teams on a consistent basis. And the reason they don't is that they assume that those people know everything and they never actually go to verify it. And even when we've gone into an office, we may have been in a hundred times, there is still an element. It's like, I tell everybody this, you should do a phone training once a year, because I will promise you that every 12 months, many, many things will be dropped. And I probably only have a handful of clients who take that advice. They want to do this training or that training, and they're willing to assume that that training, because by the way, no training ever stays in place forever. I mean, you, you would have to be a miracle worker for that to occur because it's a human element, which is why the high-performing people understand the importance of repetition in certain key areas. Low performers do not. They think everything happens. So the level of assuming is one of the areas, you know, what I like to tell people, and I always just love the Ronald Reagan quote, trust but verify, and it's so funny to watch. Like if I have a manager in my company and I say, D is this happening? How quick they are to say yes. I immediately just say, well, prove it. And they'll go, well, so-and-so is responsible for it. And I said, you actually just told me yes, but the only thing you can tell me is who you think is responsible for it. Okay, get that person in here. And, you know, nine out of ten times I say, hey, is this happening? They go, well. And you know they'll tell you sometimes? They'll tell you, well, like it's going to be. Right? That's my other pet peeve. No, I, no, tell me what it's going to be. Tell me what happened with the last 10 patients, right? Tell me what happened with the last 10 clients. So where you and I have to make a, adjustments is, number one, you have to be hold them more accountable, okay? And it's, it takes a very little bit of time. So give me a report. Send me an email. Daily, tell me what you do, right? Those are great techniques. And no different. Let's talk about your kid. So let's say you got a kid and you're trying to Modify your kid's behavior. Okay, well, you're going to give them all the free time in the world, or are you going to tell them what time they have to be home? You're going to tell them when they have to call and check in with you. Well, let me give you a little hint, right? 
I would suggest more accountability, right? All the research says if you want a teenager who's a screw up is all you want to do is give them lots of un time that is unencumbered with obligations. If you want a kid who's busy, they have obligations. If you want a kid who stays out of trouble, they have things to do. That's just like, it's like, like adults. It's like employees. And at the same token, each of these people will not always, they like to act busy, which you got to be careful about, right? So accountability, stopping, assuming. Now what I want to go to that's the important part of this I want to talk about some tips for what I've noticed that people do that have the ability to apply this skill to others. And so let's make a list. And so number one, it is important that you have goals. And almost every practice where I see this has completely fallen apart is there just isn't any goals. And what a goal is, is a written down commitment of something we're going to do mutually. And what's so great about this is that you can come back in and reinstitute this, this at any given time. So what is the goal? What is the vision? In other words, is the person clear about what it is? So when we come in and we start telling the person on the phone, say, hey, you know, look, there, there's no, this is just, just do it this way. And here's why. And here's what the patient gets out of it. And, hey, listen to this, and they listen to somebody else, and they go, ah, oh, that's terrible, which is what they just sounded like a few minutes before. And all of a sudden, they start kind of winning at the game, right? All of a sudden, they say, wow, I cannot believe this is working, right? And, and so then when you have a score, right, that helps a lot. So goals typically create scorekeeping. So one of the things we like is keep a score on something, Okay. Now, what I would tell you, and I want to talk about some things that you can do, and here are a few that I recommend for you, okay? So let's go through this. All right, so number one was goals, right? Number two is a score and some kind of tracking, all right? Now, I want to go into some things particularly for you, and what I noticed is, and the first one, right? And so let's kind of set this as a rule. And what I'm going to say is no big decisions if tired. Uh, when you plan your year, and this is what I've noticed, in the majority of practices that are doing terribly, this is what I have discovered. The amount of vacation time for the doctor is almost non-existent. And so, you know, we all know the mouse on the wheel kind of thing. And what, I, what I've realized is that for many, many people, they think going back into the office when you're tired and wore down that you're going to work your way out of a problem. And it's interesting, even, I mean, I had some uh, research. I was thinking about building an oceanfront training facility and was talking to somebody who does a lot of work on this, and she was telling me that there was research done about, you know, people who look at an expansive body of water, right, that those people just have a different way of thinking than, norm, than normal people do. And so the question I have for you is this, is what is the rest and recovery process for you. And remember, this is the exact opposite of what everybody thinks it is. But I have literally found that the people who get rest and recovery 
and then go into the office have a higher ability to apply this skill. They have a higher ability to bring to someone's attention what their behavior is doing. And the person that stays in that practice day after day after day after day almost wears down to where they literally can't see anything that's going on. And that includes their own behavior, by the way. And so what's interesting and is if you look, and the question is, like, let's talk about this. Let's talk about a vacation. And I like the word rejuvenation better than a vacation. Um, I was just down in Florida, and I noticed that there was an enormous amount of minivans and an enormous amount of families. And my kids have gotten a little older, and I was thinking, man, I remember when my kids were that little and it, was it a vacation or was it just like a lot of work? It was fun, but I don't ever remember coming back very rested because I was having to do this and that. It was a lot of, a lot of fun. But the truth of the matter is when we bring most doctors in, we find that they have got themselves down to something like a week, 10 days, and that for a lot of them, they're going home and they're repeating the same behavior that they have at the office, which is they're doing things they shouldn't do. And so if you were in a 5X meeting, right, and I'm fighting with 5X members on this like crazy, that, that we track the amount of vacation they take. And I've been able to find a correlation between an increased income. There was a great, great expression, right? Work less, make more. It's so counterintuitive, but it is absolutely true. And so this status of vacation is important. And I've got a little thing here that says that the average American took 16.8 days. Um, uh, so it actually went up a little bit, but it had actually been declining, right? So it was very interesting. So since 19, looks like 93 vacation days have actually been decreasing. Now, um, 206 million vacation days forfeited and not taken. So 54% of Americans left vacation time on the table. When they studied longevity and health, what they found was that a period of sort of allowing the mind to shut down helps with depression, helps with stress, and actually improves productivity. So, see, I can't change the behavior of all the people on your team, but what I could do is encourage you to increase the amount of time you spend away from the office. And every time I do that effectively, I increase your effectiveness of when you're at the office. And I understand when you think you have money problems, you think this can't be done. I'm not saying you have to take elaborate vacations. I'm not saying you have to take a cruise down the Mediterranean and drop a hundred. That's not what I'm saying. You just have to get away and it can't be cutting the grass for God's sake. So if you go home and clean the toilets and cut the grass and, and cut all the weeds down and I don't know, whatever people do, then that's not rest. And for so many people, they don't realize that, right? Rest is again, exercise, right? getting outside, and what it allows you to do is to be more effective when you come back in. So vacation, right, and you want to have a, 
And, and I want you to think about it as a rejuvenation, okay? So you want to have a system that works, and I just suggest that you increase it. Now, the next thing I'm going to talk about is exercise. So the other thing I found is people that exercise, were, and they found in studies, were way more likely to have the ability to confront or to discuss things with people than those that don't, because exercise affects your self-confidence, okay? Now, I'm going to obviously tell you that you need to reduce escaping style behavior, drinking, smoking, whatever, whatever other, you know, internet time, you know, you need to consider the internet. I, I think eventually they're going to call the internet like smoking. I mean, I think that there's going to be a day where we're like, what is your problem? Well, because people don't smoke anymore, right? Because it's so socially, like, unacceptable. I mean, you know, high school kids are back at it. But, like, what are you doing? I'm searching the Internet. Well, well for what? Uh, I don't know. Well, why don't you have a cigarette instead? <laughs> I mean, words, what's the difference, right? I mean, because at the end of the day, if you're sitting there and you're looking at other people's lives and thinking yours is crappy, I could probably make a case that, hey, you know, look, cigarettes clearly do kill people, but uh, what does low self-esteem and lack of ambition do to your life? It's got to be worse, right? I mean, I've seen people that lived 100 years old smoking cigarettes. So, I mean... I just think you've got to figure out what other destructive behaviors you have, and you've got to reduce those. And what's interesting is, is if you don't make these changes, and anyone who's listening to this can do this, you're never going to go help the people around you make the changes. So, and it's not about spending more time at the office. It's about getting yourself in a position. So exercise. The next one is diet, right? So you have to change your diet. You have to get in a diet. And I know this is a lot. And, and, and here, you don't have to do all of them, but pick the one that's going to have the greatest effect on you. And I have found for most people that it's exercise. So even if you're not willing to take a vacation, you can get a trainer and you can go work out at 5 o'clock in the morning or 6 o'clock in the morning before you go to the office. And I'll promise you that if you do that one single thing, that you will find yourself addressing people's behaviors, okay? I, I tell you. And if you don't do that one single thing, then you'll continue to avoid behaviors, now, I want you to have some fun with this, and I hope that, and then the other thing is, is you have to practice rest. I did the experiment with this for several years. I used to, right, I worked three days a week, and I remember that the hardest thing was to not work. So for, particularly for, you know, people that have learned how to work. So for me, the most difficult thing I can do is to take a day and go do something besides work. I mean, even like playing golf. I just don't even like to play golf, right? So the question is, and some people, I'm not telling you to go escape, but I'm saying to work on that rest period, right? And to rebuild your schedule in a way that works for you. So if you look at a typical overworked doctor who works Monday through Thursday and then stresses out Friday, Saturday, Sunday about the practice, see, that's problematic, so we have to flip that around somehow and make sure that you have a weekly rhythm, you have a monthly rhythm, okay, and that you're putting attention on the things that are most important. Any of you that have young kids, it's important that you carve out time 
to spend with those young kids. So if it's, you know, I used to do buddy trip. I call them buddy trips. I have a guy who I'm going to do an interview with. He calls it Daddy Saturday. His wife works on Saturday. So every Saturday he's created this great rhythm of being with his kids. And he puts on like a day with them, which is really super intentional. And again, for some of us that are, you know, our kids are getting a little older, you have different activities. So what I want you to do is I want you to Hopefully, I gave you enough information to make an adjustment or two and to trust that just grinding it out in the practice is not the correct solution, that these things that I've given you are actually what the correct solution is, and then making sure that you're backing up your behavior with some kind of purpose. But I also find people don't have a lot of purpose if they never take a vacation. Sometimes when I'm on vacation, that purpose or that higher calling will come to me where when I'm fighting through an issue in my office, it's very difficult for it even to get to me, if you would. Hey, listen, I am super excited about what's going on out there in the world. Some fantastic stories about people breaking records like I've never seen before. Um, at all levels of clients, by the way. And so nothing should be holding you back right now. You should be all green light. Got a great event coming up in October. If you've never brought your team to an event, the best marketing seminar ever. So would love to see you there. Tickets are available and there's some early bird pricing. So make sure you reach out to my office on that. And uh, have yourself a fantastic week. And we'll look forward to talking to you next month. Take care. Bye. Need help identifying shortcomings in your practice and correcting them? Allow Jay's team to audit your new patient experience free of charge. Best case scenario, we'll wind up working together. Worst case scenario, we'll address your shortcomings and provide you with some actionable insights you can implement immediately to improve your process. Sure, you can trust that your team is delivering a wow experience to all your new patients, but have you verified that it's actually happening? This complimentary audit will either confirm or deny the perception you have of your practice. To request your audit, visit auditmypractice.com free. 